Good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 21. Um, you should know this about every message I preach. It's never all comprehensive. There's no way I can cover every little thing. We'll be sitting here the rest of the evening and into tomorrow, and you get mad at me because you get hungry anyway. I want you to go back and look at this in context of the entire book, because what we're talking about today has many things unpacked. So we're just getting to the tip of the, uh, of the iceberg, as they say. Uh, I encourage you to go back. And this is not an easy one to preach because the way this text has been mishandled and applied, even in our day and age, is there's so many things going wrong, and I just want to encourage you to go back and study this for yourself. As a, a way of introduction... Of course, we're talking about excellence in family living. This pastor had just finished a sermon series on marriage. And at the end of the series, he had these small wooden crosses, sort of like this, maybe not that elaborate. And he said, I want you to take one of these crosses and go home, and you go to that room where all the disagreements seem to happen, a room that has more conflict than any of the others, Put that cross in there so when that conflict or that disagreement starts to happen, you'll look at that cross and remember God's love and His commands, and hopefully that will cease so you can stop the argument before it escalates into something really improper. Well, a man raised his hand and said, Pastor, you better give me ten of those. I got one laugh on that. See, a, a house or excuse me, a home is more than a house or the rooms where one lives. That's just merely space. A home is family. It is security. It is provision. A home is love. It's the relationships found within it. Once again, a home is more than just space. And in a home that has love, security, provision in these relationships, it's critical, it's important to have excellence in leadership and service in that atmosphere, in the home. Now keep that in mind. As we've looked at Colossians over these past few weeks, the book Colossians answers the most basic question, who is Jesus? High Christology is found within its, within its text, in its pages. We find in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, that Christ is supreme over all person and things. He is sufficient for all our spiritual needs. There is nothing needed except knowing Him as Savior and Lord. Now, since He is Lord, and He has He sustains and holds the entire universe together, he can also hold my life, my marriage, and my family together. 
He has given a system in order to the universe. We call it laws of nature. Who established those laws of nature? God himself. And put everything in motion. If he could sustain this universe, and he has a system and order or structure, if you will, then he's also given a system of order and structure that govern the family unit. And within the text this morning, there are four priorities or concise directives we can find within it. The first one is for wives, found in verse 18. We can find the second one, a priority or concise directive for husbands in verse 19. The next one is found in verse 20 for children, and then for fathers in verse 21. So men, if you're married and have children, we're hit twice in this passage. I hope you recognize that. We're talked to in verse 19 and again in verse 21. Let's look at the text together. Starting in verse 18, Colossians chapter 3. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them or do not be harsh with them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Be obedient in everything. For this is well-pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children or do not provoke, do not embitter, or do not aggravate your children so that they will not lose heart or become discouraged. So right off the bat, he starts with wives. Be subject to your husbands as as is fitting in the Lord. That is an imperative in the Greek. That is a command. Now, this is not just about submission or subjection. It's primarily about leadership. It implies that a husband should lead his wife. He should lead, lead his home. And the wife should empower him to do so. Husbands, we are not to be passive, expecting our wives to pick up our leadership role. Husbands, you are the provider, the protector, and caregiver. You are on point. You are determining the direction of your family. You are called to be the spiritual leader in your home, and you're also called to be spiritual leaders of the church. Now, it's not suggested in this text or anywhere else in the New Testament that women are naturally or spiritually inferior to men or a wife to her husband. Notice in verse 20, children are told to obey. If you go down to verse 22, you look at slaves are told to obey, but the wife is not told to obey, is she? She's called to be submission. See, submission is voluntarily assuming a particular role. When a king conquered another kingdom, he would get that king to kneel in submission to him or be killed. Now, that king had a decision. He could submit to that conquering king or he would not and he would be killed. So submission is voluntary. It's not automatic is the point I'm trying to make. Notice the context, too. Look at the prepositional phrase, as is fitting or proper in the Lord. The motivation for voluntary submission is the proper Christian attitude. It's an outworking of the Lordship of Christ. It's a matter of Christian commitment. It comes with salvation. So this submission has more to do with the wife's relationship with God than her husband. So as she submits, she's submitting and doing what the Lord wants her to do. 
Now, we'll get to the guys in just a moment, ladies, but this is voluntary, guys. You cannot use this verse and say, submit to me, submit to me, submit to me, do it my way. This is not what the text is saying in its context. I cannot say that clearly enough. I think one of the problems we have in our society is men as a whole have, have uh, abandoned their leadership role. And they become more passive. And I'll say, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm so tired of all these sitcoms on TV that make the father and the man look like a dummy sitting on the couch. We are called to be the spiritual leaders, gentlemen, in our home. All that learning begins in the home. For the church and for our schools are in so much problems right now because the schools are trying to be the parent. The schools are not to be the parent of our kids. We are to teach them at home, and the school backs that up because if the kids go to school with no instruction or behavior, how in the world can a teacher teach in that environment? You can't. How much time does a teacher spend telling kids, uh, be quiet, and all these proper attitudes they should have instead of instructing our kids? I'll get off that soapbox. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 says the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, guys, I invite you to go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the context because there are certain things we shouldn't play with or withhold from one another. And we'll leave it at that. Go back and look at that chapter. Now, the guys were thinking, yeah, lives, you have to submit to me. Look what he says next. Husbands, agape, in the imperative tense, your wives. That is a command. The husband's duty, his responsibility, his obligation, however you want to word that, is to love his wife. This is not just an affectionate feeling or sexual attraction. This involves his active and unceasing care for her well-being. Husbands are to love their wives sacrificially. Her inner beauty and self-fulfillment are to be his delight. And he should do whatever he possibly can to promote her personal well-being and her satisfaction. And of course, the model we have is Christ himself. And Ephesians chapter 5, which parallels us with he's teaching in Colossians, chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. When a wife sees that, when she sees her husband's loving, caring, sacrificial love to her well-being, it makes her responsibility and submission much easier. Once again, this is not about who's inferior to the other. It's complementary. Guys, as a leader, we have to lead as Christ. She has to see us follow Christ, submit to His... I'm jumping ahead of myself, but bear with me. You cannot come to Christ just as Savior. You cannot separate Him being Lord from Him being Savior. Yeah, we like to sing about Christ being my friend and all these other things, but He's also my Lord. That means we submit to Him. So it's not about we want, gentlemen. It's about us submitting to God, following Him, being that spiritual leader. And as we do that, our wives will see that and Submit to us and say, honey, you're the leader of the home. I got your back. But unfortunately, we don't see that happening in our society. In our text, look what he says. 
He says, love your wives. What he says next, do not be embittered against them. Be harsh with them. And this is not just in public, but this is in the house where no one else sees what's going on. Have you ever been around somebody who they've been married for 50, 60 years, but yet the way they treat each other is just terrible? If you want to know the kind of home they're in, ask the children. Because we need to be men of integrity. Do the right thing when no one else is watching. But see, that's even a false statement because there's always somebody watching. Your children are watching you, gentlemen. Do you want your daughter to marry someone like you? Well, I got quiet on that one. They're watching you. And the tendency as an adult is to do what's modeled before us. So when we have tension and we have pressure of life, gentlemen, we will go back to what we see modeled before. And the reason we have these generational curses is because some of these young men have never been saw that example to begin with. Gentlemen, we look around us and see these young men coming in, these kids, and be that Christian, that godly man that people need to see. So when he does get married, he understands what it means to be a Christian husband, to be a Christian father. And that's why it's so important to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience, as he told before in the verses we looked at last week. I cannot stress this enough. The way we treat our wives, how we handle things, gentlemen, your children are going to see that. And chances are they will repeat it when they get older. One thing I learned early on now, I was never physically abused or sexually abused as a kid. had a pretty good childhood. But my dad could be mean from time to time. I learned early on I want to be that agent of change. And it's so hard to do because when you, when you get in the heat of the moment, you kind of revert back. That's the reason you have those good habits installed. And it's been a, it's been a hard hill, you know, a hard hill to climb. But God's helped me with it. Be that agent of change. Break those generational curses. It doesn't have to be the way it was when you grew up. Be determined to be the best husband and father you can be. Now he turns his attention to children. Children, be obedient. Once again, imperative, a command. To your parents... In all things, everything. Now, it's interesting to me as this letter was read that they would expect children to be in the audience. And that reminds me that the church includes people in all stations of life. Race, age, economic standing pales insignificant to people who are in Christ. So in, in here, as we gather as God's people, everything that the world tells separates us doesn't apply. We're all at equal footing at the foot of the cross. Children are to render obedience to their parents in all things. That is expected. And in so doing, children fulfill one of the Ten Commandments. It qualifies them for the reception of a promise. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Here it comes. So it may be well with you and that you may live long on earth. There's a promise. We obey our parents in all things, honor them in all things. We'll have a long life on earth, and it will be well with us. We'll have a good life. In this context, the situation which parents' instructions would go contrary to Christ was never anticipated because the law of Christ must, 
and should always take priority precedence. Remember, this is all done in love, so it's never an instance where a parent should tell their children to do something that's contrary to the law of Christ. Look what he says, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. See, children have a responsibility in the Christian family order. To please the Lord as Christians, children must obey their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we have these instructions to husbands, to wives, and to children. Those three, we'll get to fathers in a moment. We are bound together in the Lord. And I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Because before we start saying who's in order here, who's ruling the other one, this is equal footing, ladies and gentlemen. It's one of consummentaries, not who's inferior. Put it to you this way. I don't have any more footing before God than you do. Right? Because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have a closer relationship to God than you do. What it does mean is I'm going to be held to a higher standard because I have responsibility for which the position God has allowed me to have. Gentlemen, we are the same way as husbands and fathers. We'll get there in a moment. When God allows you to have a child, trust you to raise it and take care of it. That's a huge responsibility. We should never take that lightly. He's trusting us with a young life. Look how much damage has been done in our country because that's been forsaken. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, he's talking about children, it would be, rather, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, I was going to get a picture of it, but a millstone was part of the olive press. It had this huge, almost like a fountain kind of, and it had a huge trench and this big old circle, and this huge stone weighed tons would go around, they put the olives in there, it would crush the olives, get the oil out of it. So what Jesus is talking about, if we cause one of these little ones, these children to stumble, we might as well tell that millstone around our neck and dive in the sea, which means you will drown. So many con- in the context of the statement, one was the kids were coming to Jesus, and the disciples say, no, keep them away. In this context, he's talking about people coming to him as children. So before we get all high and mighty and saying, children, you must obey us, we must remember our responsibility to teach the kids and not to become a stumbling block. And I know it's hard. It goes back to that same thing you've heard time and time again. So many of us will say, do what I say, don't do what I do. We have to provide that example for our kids. Because the examples are picking up on a lot of social media and the TV are not biblical. We're going to turn to fathers again. Fathers do not exasperate or provoke or aggravate your children. Once again, that's an imperative, a command. Now, in the Lord, both parents, father and mother, have a mutual responsibility to children. But because He points this out, we as fathers bear the primary responsibility for the children at home. 
we have huge influence on our kids as their fathers. And this is speaking to an irritation or even nagging. Parents embitter children by constantly picking at them, refusing to acknowledge their efforts. You see that in athletics. The kids try on their hardest, but doesn't live up to God's, uh, to their father's expectations. And some coaches in here could tell you that sometimes parents put unlisted expectations on their kids. We can't do that. Because we keep nagging at them, keep picking at them, it's going to cause discouragement. The fact that children might become discouraged suggests that we do that too much. That if we constantly remind the children they're not good enough, then they can seem to think, well, I can't please anybody. I can't please anyone who loves me. I cannot be good enough. And that has no place in the Christian home. Now, this is not saying correction is not needed. If correction is needed, it should address the behavior of the child, not his or her personhood. Discipline is not to be prolonged so that nagging occurs. Here's another thing. A father who is always threatening does not receive much respect. That is not to say that is not saying that no discipline is to take place when needed. And we see that happening. Proverbs 13:24. He who withholds his rod or correction or discipline hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. And then back to Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now listen to me very carefully. To properly discipline someone else, you must be disciplined yourself. You can't go around correcting people if you're not having that same correction or discipline in your life. If we expect our children to be raised in the Lord, we expect them to be at church functions and be involved, then we have to accept the example as parents. And I know Rashonda would agree with me on this. So many times we have teenagers and children come to us, but if they're not getting backed up at the home, it can't happen. I've seen it happen, but it's very rare. They need to have that be backed up at the home. It's, it's almost impossible. I wouldn't say almost impossible. It's very difficult. Because sometimes children's ministry and youth ministry, let's call it like we see it, ends up being a babysitter. We can't, as parents, act like we want to day in and day out and expect our children to do any better if they're not seeing that model set before us. Now consider how God our fathers deals with us as His children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Is it for discipline that you endure? God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all of us have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God corrects those who he loves. Just as parents, we are to discipline our kids because we love them. We want the best for them. I mean, that's the reason why my girls were growing up. If they put their hand on the stove, would I just let them do it? I wouldn't go reason with her. I'd probably just slap her hand away and go, no! Why? Because I don't want her hand to be burned off in the pain. There's times for discipline. There's times not for discipline. But I see the two extremes happening where a kid can never do anything right or 
They don't know if their parents really care or not. And be careful what I say here. How many times have I, my girls were growing up, or even now, I'll go to a basketball game or a track me, whatever it is, and how sad it is to hear that sometimes parents don't even come to one single game. I don't care if they have a losing season. We need to be there to support our children because Coach Cummy over here can tell them they're doing a good job. I can tell them they're doing a good job. But it's not going to carry the same weight if their own parents say, that's a good job you did. We're not to make unreasonable demands to them. We keep putting those unreasonable demands on them. They'll think it's useless and even trying to please. Constant nagging results and children becoming discouraged. They feel like they can't please the people they love and they become to feel that they're not worthy of anybody. The relationship of a husband and wife, once again, is not an issue of inferiority, but complementary. God has given us these concise directives for excellence in family living. But due to disobedience, chaos has erupted, resulting in family relationships being destroyed, husbands not putting their fathers... Husbands not putting their wives first, loving them as Christ does, resulting in the husband not being respected, and that results in no leadership in the home. Can you see how we got to where we are as a society? We have forsaken what God has put down. And let me tell you, if you do it the way God instructs us, you have nowhere to go but up. If I keep loving Tammy sacrificially, doing whatever I can, to promote her well-being. Honey, I love you. I have your back. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Even to the point she knows I'm willing to lay down my life for her. And she comes along and says, Tim, I'm going to follow wherever you, wherever you lead because I know you have the best for me. I know you care about me. You care about our family. And that just keeps going up and up and up because we as men, let's face it, we like people to stroke our ego a little bit. Am I wrong? So you see how God created us. It's complimentary and that relationship has nowhere to go but up. And then the children as well. And there's going to be times of conflict. There's going to be times that that happens. And we need to confess that, repent of it, and actually go to each other and ask for forgiveness. Because that bleeds into the church. Look, if you, if you see what's happened to the family in the United States, you can see the results in not only our society, but also our churches. Why is it some of these issues have become so, uh, such a hot issue for us as Southern Baptists? Why is an issue even coming up? Could women serve as senior pastors? Because, men, the women have been here since the beginning. They're the most faithful ones. I'm not standing opinion. That is fact. And they're thinking, well, we do everything else. Why can't we preach? Gentlemen, we need to stand up to our leadership. And lead as Christ does. Love our wives and our family sacrificially. And I'm telling you, if you try to do that on your own power, you will fail. We're not called to live natural lives. We are called to live supernatural lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, 
And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. I'm living proof of that. And I thank God I was able to tell my mama that before she passed. Thank you for raising me up. Even though I strayed away, it was amazing to me sitting in a seminary class hearing all these Bible stories. Do you realize I hadn't cracked a Bible open from the time I was 10 to the time I was 33? But all those stories I heard growing up as a young child, it all came back. I could tell them where you could find them, but I wasn't quite sure exactly, but it was there. Still packed away down deep. Just had to bring it back. Even the books of the Bible memorized in order, by memory. I, I still have that. That's something I learned when I was nine years old. And I'm telling you that not to point to me. I'm telling you, when you train a child up, it doesn't go away. It's always there. And once you train your child up, it's up to them. You have to let your children go. And you know what? I found that to be the most difficult thing to deal with, to let my daughters go and say, God, we raised them. They know better. They're yours Watch over them. That's hard, isn't it? Because you want to be there to protect them and do whatever we can. We have to train them up and be there for them, but ultimately that's their decision. And as always, when we look at this situation and it's easy to point at our society or the culture or the entertainment industry for all these problems, which I agree they, they add to it, but I'm telling you, right here in this, in this book of Colossians, and it's in Ephesians as well, when we look at the instructions we have as a family, the reason God, He doesn't give us a gift without telling us how to use it and how to properly apply it. With that said, we have to start with each of ourselves. You can't look at our wives, you can't look at our husbands, you can't look at our, our children. It has to begin with us, and we have to take responsibility. Bottom line. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little different as we close out. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, and best of your ability, I want you to repeat after me. And what we're repeating is found in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Keep what we've talked about so far all in your heart, in your mind. Say to yourself, I want to take responsibility. I want to do better I want you, God, to search me. So say with me, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. None. Now, as we prayed that, God is working. He's doing the very thing we ask Him to do. Searching our hearts. So as, as He answers that, what's your answer back to Him? Is it obedience? Or is it rebellion? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you ever given your life over to Him? 
as both Savior, forgiveness for your sins, freedom from death, shame, guilt. Have you done that? If you have, what's holding you back? So we can come to a Savior and say, ooh, I'm forgiven, but have we really submitted to His Lordship? God, he says in the Gospels, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Perhaps that's one reason some of our prayers go up and bounce off the ceiling because we keep referring to Him as Lord, and He's telling me, Tim, how many times have I told you what to do in this situation, but you will not listen? You need to submit to my Lordship. Do you need to do that today? Or is God leading you to join us here as a body of Christ? Or is it simply a prayer that you need? Perhaps you need to spend some time with your family. I'm not just talking to me at family. We are family. Look around. We're all Christians in this room, I believe. We could spend eternity with each other. You guys don't look too happy about that. But there's one advantage we'll have in heaven that we will not, we'll never get here. That's when in heaven all sin will be eradicated. That will, take a, that will take care of all our problems. But perhaps God's leading you to, to go to someone. And I know about COVID, you want to socially distance. You may just want to walk over to them and the best you can or just pray for them. Maybe He's calling you down here. When I was preparing for this this message, something that hit me real hard was as a father complaining to my kids. Telling the older one, be more like your sister. Constant nagging. And I'm guilty of that. And that can be the same here at church with our brother and sister in Christ. We can't allow that to happen. We have to put on those new habits. Heart of compassion. Forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not sitting here beating you up. I see good things happening. But we can never let our guard down. We are in a spiritual battle. The war has been won. We're in a spiritual battle. And I just want to take a serious moment and remind ourselves the eternal destiny of people's souls hanging the balance. That's very serious. If we desire to be used of God, we have to continually go to Him, ask for forgiveness that He may cleanse us and be His instrument. There's freedom in letting go. He won't cast you out. Confession this means you agree. So I encourage you, if as God's speaking, be obedient to His call. No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to make fun of you. You'll never find a group of people more sympathetic and what's the best for you? That's what I'm doing what I do. I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I possibly can. I was given a gift that I did not earn or did not deserve. 
And I want to share that with as many people as possible. And that that can start right here and right now in this moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, dear God, that you have given us instructions. Not because you're a mean God and want to boss us around, but dear God, you want us to have life and enjoy life, have life more abundantly. Father, you know what's best because you designed us, you created us. You know what we need. You've told us how to have wonderful relationship with you, how to have a wonderful relationship with each other, and how we should raise our family. Father, I, I pray for each individual in this room and those watching via the internet, dear God. I, I know there's a lot of hurting people out there. The family can be a very difficult thing for many of us. Some of us have been hurt real bad by family members. Father, I, I pray that you speak to them. Father, they would feel that peace that passes all comprehension disenvelop them. Father, give us the courage and the boldness to step out. Help us, dear God, to be what you created us to be. Father, help us to listen to your voice, the voice of truth. And quit listening to the enemy. Knock down every wall. Break every chain that's holding us back. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.